0: Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nlutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, our scripture this morning comes to us from Matthew 28. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priest had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this still told among the Jews to this day. Well, if you were here last week, you know that we started a new sermon series called Proof. And we've been looking at these amazing interactions with Christ after the resurrection, interactions that help people understand that he was who he said he was, that we have a faith, not based on just simply faith or not based just simply on a book, but a faith built on real proof, real interactions. Now, if you're just stepping in here, I believe this is going to be one of the best series we've done because I believe it will actually help you move forward in your spiritual journey no matter where you are on that journey. Now, if you've been on the fence and you're trying to figure it out, you have some belief, but you have some doubts, this is the perfect series for you. In fact, if you came in here today, maybe you've disconnected from church for a long time, or maybe you've never connected with Christ, you've never even really thought about it, but you got invited today and you stepped in, this is going to be great for you to help you understand that we actually have a faith based on fact and not just something that we believe in simply blindly. And if you've been a believer your whole life, if you're securely fastened to Christ, I believe this will also give you the tools to have better conversations with people because you know you run into people who don't believe like you believe and you, and you stutter and stammer. and You don't really know how to convince them that what you believe and what you've bought into actually is the truth. And so I believe this is a great series. I encourage you to join in and connect with the whole thing. However, as you know, this is part two. Which means if you weren't here last week, you missed out on the beginning of it, and I don't want you to do that. And so here's the best way to reconnect. You can go to our website, analutheran.com, you can listen on there, or if you're more tech savvy, you like podcasts, we actually have a podcast, you can subscribe to it, and you will automatically get the sermon each week. And so if you want to listen to it again, or pass it on to a friend on Facebook, whatever that is, you can do that so more and more people can get connected uh, to this, this great conversation that we're having. Well, today we're going to continue this series and we're gonna talk about a cover-up story. And you all know what a cover-up story is, right? That's a, a false story to distract us from the truth. Now, when I was 10 years old, I, I concocted my, my very first cover-up story and this is what happened. I got a phone call and it was still in the days when all the phones rang at the same time, right? They were all actually plugged into a wall. It was very, very strange, very, very old. And so I ran to the phone because when you're 10 years old and when you live in the 90s and the phone rings, It's like the most exciting thing that has happened to you for the whole week. And so I ran to the phone, I grabbed the phone and it was actually for me, which was very, very rare. And it was my friend. He said, Ben, do you want to come play baseball? Now, of course I wasn't going to turn that down. I said, sure, but I have to ask my mom because when you're 10, you have to ask your mom permission for literally everything that you do. And so I went to my mom and I said, may I go play baseball? And she said, you may, but first you have to water the plants. Now, for most people, this isn't that big a deal, a couple tulips or whatever out front. But my dad owned a landscaping business. And when she said water the plants, she meant the full nursery. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trees, shrubs, and roses. This was an hour to two-hour project. So I went to her and I said, may I water them after baseball? Because if I go right now, I'm going to miss most of the game. And she said, no, you have to do it right now. So I got on my Huffy bike, I threw my baseball glove on the handlebars, and I took off towards the nursery to water these plants as fast as I could. And as I drove, this is the plan I designed in my 10-year-old mind. I was going to water all the plants on the outside of the aisles, and then I was going to spray water over the rest, right? Just kind of sprinkle over the top. So that's what I did. I did exactly that. I did a two-hour project in 10 minutes, and I got off to the baseball field. Well, everything was going great except for about the second inning, A minivan comes flying into the parking lot with a very angry woman inside, which was my mom. She comes flying out onto the field, drags me off the field and says, didn't I tell you that you had to water the plants first? To which I responded, I did. And she said, there's no way you did it that fast. And I said, I'm telling you I did. And she said, I went and looked and they are all still bone dry. And my cover-up story was destroyed. Because when the truth pops out, no matter what your cover-up story is, no matter how well it's crafted, it automatically is laughable. It's automatically destroyed. Well, today we're going to run into a cover-up story. And we're going to see how the truth destroyed this story. But before we get there, we actually need to know the backstory. story. So we're actually going to go, before we go to Matthew 28, we're going to go to the previous chapter, Matthew 27, and get the backstory story that this cover story designed and the reason why this covered story was necessary was because of what happened just before it, and this is what we read. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And so we run into a conversation here. It's between the Jewish religious leaders and, and a Roman leader called Pilate. And they're having this conversation on a very specific day. It's the day after preparation. Now in the Jewish faith on Sabbath, which was Saturday, you could not do any work, which means the day before you did a whole bunch of work to get ready for it. So that was called the day of preparation. But this Saturday, this Sabbath wasn't just any Sabbath. It was what we call in our modern context, Holy Saturday. It was the day after Christ's death and he's resting in the tomb awaiting the resurrection. And it's during this time that the guy, these guys are having this conversation and this is what they say. Sir, we remember that that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise again. So these religious leaders, they go to Pilate, and they engage him in a conversation. But this is not the first conversation that they have had with Pilate. In fact, this has been a very, very busy last number of days. If we back up to the Thursday before this conversation, we see that Christ is sitting with his disciples for the Last Supper. Judas betrays him in the garden and the religious leaders, they take him and put him on trial. And after they put him on trial, they convict him and they convict him of a crime that they call blasphemy, which is saying you're God when you're not. And so when they saw Jesus, they didn't see God in the flesh. They just saw a man claiming to be God. And so they, they said, you are caught on this charge of blasphemy and blasphemy. The punishment for blasphemy was death, but there was a problem. The Roman Empire had taken over this region of the world and most regions of the world at this point in time, which means if the Jewish people wanted to enforce their laws, they had to get permission from the Romans. And so on Friday they go to Pilate and they have their first conversation with Pilate, and they tell him, This guy, he's claiming to be God, he's not, and in our culture and in our rules, that's deserving of death. And so we need you to give us approval, or we need you to kill this guy. So Pilate he starts a conversation with Christ. And he comes to the conclusion that Jesus is innocent. Now, these guys keep pestering him, keep pestering him, keep pestering him. So he sends Jesus off to Herod, another ruler in that day. And Herod is ecstatic to talk to Christ because he had heard the rumors. He'd heard the rumors about Jesus being a great teacher, about doing miracles. And so he was excited to engage with this Jesus character. But he has a conversation with Christ. And once again, even Herod says he's innocent. So he kicks him back down the road to Pilate. Now, in the meantime, Pilate's wife has been having these dreams about Christ, having dreams that were tormenting her because she was learning in her dreams that Jesus was innocent. And so she goes to her husband and says, don't do this. Don't give into the pressure because this guy I'm convinced is 100% innocent. So Pilate begins to devise a plan. And this is what Pilate knows. During the Passover, there was a pattern. There was a procedure that the Roman rulers would would give up one criminal back to the community. The community would come together, they would vote, and they would declare one criminal that the Romans had convicted as innocent, and they would release them back into the general population. And so Pilate tries tries to use this pattern as a way to get out of this moment in time. And so he puts Christ up there, he puts Jesus up there, and then right next to him he puts Barabbas, and this is very intentional. Because Barabbas was evil upon evil and everyone knew it. And this was Jesus. And so he set up this contrast. And what did he expect? He expected the people to release Jesus and to not release Barabbas. But instead, the crowd shouts, give us Barabbas. Give us the criminal to put back into our general population. But him, Jesus, crucify him. And so Pilate listens. Pilate watches his hands, but he does what the people want because they yell, The blood, his blood, will be on our hands. And so he puts Christ on the cross, and Christ dies. And on that Saturday, he is resting, and this conversation pops up. And the Pharisees remember that Jesus said, he made this prediction that after three days, which would be the day after this day, that he is going to come back to life again. Now, when they brought this up to Pilate, you know what he was thinking. This is insane. No one comes back to life. Especially, no one comes back to life after the horror of what crucifixion is, which was an art of death perfected by the Romans, where people were tortured and bloodied and just ultimately destroyed. So Pilate's like, why are we even having this conversation? Nobody, nobody, nobody comes back from the dead. But the religious leaders continue. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may go And steal him away and tell the people he has been raised from the dead, and the last deception would be worse than the first. And so they keep pestering Pilate, pestering Pilate, and say, This is what we're concerned about. We're concerned that the disciples, his followers, will go, move the stone away, steal the body, and then start this false rumor that he has risen from the dead. So Pilate responds You have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went with the guard and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. Now, when we read this text, there's really two ways we can understand it. We could, we could say that maybe that Pilate gave them some Roman guard to watch over the tomb, but I believe that they actually used the temple guard, which was a, a Jewish guard that watched over the temple to make sure people didn't go in the wrong areas of the temple and made sure that nobody was disgracing the temple. See, the reason I believe this is because Pilate by this time is so fed up with these guys, they keep pestering him and bothering him over the same character over and over and over again. I believe he's brushing them off and saying, you already have a guard. You already have the temple guard. Use your own people. Watch over this tomb of a dead guy that no one's going to mess with and make it as secure as you possibly can. And so that's exactly what they do. They put their temple guard watching over the tomb, making sure that no one comes and tampers with it. Now, this is where we're going to fast forward to conspiracy theory. See, in Matthew 28, something amazing has happened. The resurrection has happened. Jesus has come back just as he predicted, and this was the aftermath of that. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. You see, what had happened was the guards were there, trying to secure this tomb of this dead guy. And all of a sudden the resurrection happened. There was an earthquake. The stone was rolled away by an angel and Jesus was nowhere to be found. And when this happened, they were terrified. It says in Matthew that they were frozen like they were dead. But once they came to you, they went running in different directions. Some went home, some went elsewhere, and some went right back to the leaders who had commanded them to watch over the tomb so that they could tell them exactly what happened. And they told him the story. You're not going to believe this. We were there. There was a whole bunch of us. We were wide awake. We were watching the tomb. This earthquake happened. And then a stone was rolled away. And we looked inside and Jesus was nowhere to be found. And this is how these guys respond. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers. So these religious leaders these experts in scripture, these teachers, these people that were supposed to guide the people of Israel forward, the Jewish people to lead them on their spiritual journey, guess what happens? When Jesus shows himself as the Messiah, when Jesus shows himself as the Son of God, when he actually fulfills his prediction, which should have caught their attention and made them stand in awe, what do they do? They ignore it. They had this amazing opportunity to share the truth with a whole nation, with all the people that they influenced. And instead they decided to make up a lie because it didn't quite fit the narrative that they wanted to share. And so this is what they did. They told the guards, you must say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. So these guys, they give the guards a whole bunch of money and they tell them, this is a story that you will share. We have bought your rights to this story. And so you're going to go around the city. And when people ask you, or even when people don't ask you, you're going to tell them. We were watching guard. We fell asleep. The disciples took the body. And and that's the story. Now, there's a lot of problems with this story. This is not a great cover-up story. In fact, it's got a, a lot of holes and issues, including the temple guard was known for being very vigilant, in fact, a part of their rules and a part of their procedures were that if they fell asleep while they were guarding the temple, that they would have their clothes lit on fire as punishment while they were wearing them. That was how serious these guys were about staying awake and staying vigilant when they were guarding something. So you've got to imagine when these guys, when they were dozing off, if they ever dozed off, this panic would hit them because they did not want to experience that or they didn't want to experience that again. So the likelihood of these guys, all these temple guard falling asleep is zero. And the chance that even one of them fall asleep would be very, very, very slim. But then we're supposed to believe this, that these guys, while they're completely asleep, somehow knew all the details of the story. While they were sleeping, they knew somehow that the stone was rolled away. They knew that the disciples came, took the body, unwrapped the body, laid the linen neatly back and then escaped with this dead body. That's what we're supposed to believe. Now, even if they woke up midway, wouldn't they do something? I mean, once the stone was rolled away, it would be incredibly loud. It took three men to shove. It'd be stone on stone grinding. I mean, you would probably take notice. And if you take notice, how could you watch the disciples go into the tomb, unwrap the body, and then walk away with a bloody rotting corpse on their shoulders? I mean, wouldn't you do something? So the story, it has so many holes, so many holes, so many holes. But the religious leaders, they continue, and this is what they say next. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they take on this role of kind of the good guys, and they tell these guards, I know you might be concerned about this, but if the governor catches wind of this, that you fell asleep, it's okay. We got you. We'll pay him off. We'll appease him. Don't worry about it. You will not get in trouble. Now, it sounds kind of nice that they're going to take care of it for them, But I believe this is not a nice thing. I believe it's an intentional way to keep this truth out of Pilate's ears. Because what do we know about Pilate? He's already been on the fence with this whole thing. His wife is convinced that Jesus was innocent. He's kind of convinced that Jesus was innocent. And then these leaders came to him and gave them the prediction. They came right to his doorstep and said, this guy predicted his own death and resurrection and said he would pull it off on Sunday. And guess what the story would have gone to Pilate? If these temple guards went to Pilate, what would they say? There was an earthquake. The stone was rolled away by an angel. And Jesus was nowhere to be found. I mean, can you imagine if one of the major leaders of the Roman Empire became a believer? How much trouble that would create for these religious leaders? I believe they are intentionally trying to keep the truth out of this guy's ears. Well, the story goes on. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. So the guards, they took the money. They spread the story. They spread this cover up all over. And if you would have heard it in that day, even though it had a lot of folly, even though it had a lot of flaws, you would believe it. Because the alternative is unbelievable. I mean, the alternative would be that Jesus actually came back from the dead. I mean, what would prove to you that something like that would happen? You see, this is what we see in this section of scripture. We see this about our faith. Is that we have a faith that couldn't survive even a bad cover-up story. But here we are. Here we are. Almost 2,000 years later, what are we doing? We're reading stories about the resurrection. In fact, what's so awesome about Matthew's writing, what's so amazing, the fact that he wrote this, is that Mark didn't write this. And Luke didn't write this. And John didn't write this. And I believe the reason they didn't even pen this story in their works is not because it wasn't true, but because they wrote their Gospels later. By the time they wrote their Gospels, this story would be laughed out of the room. It'd be laughed out of the room. And they knew it wasn't even worth the cost of the ink to put on paper to write this story down because this has long been forgotten. It had long been dismissed. You see, no matter how good the cover-up story is, when the truth presents itself, you see the truth for what it is and you see the false story for what it is. And when Jesus showed up time and time and time and time again to these people, they knew this story was false. They knew this story was laughable and they believed and they believed deeper and they launched a faith where they handed down that faith from generation to generation. They launched a faith that they wrote stories about that faith later that we're reading today because they encountered the risen Christ. You see, they didn't have faith simply in faith and they didn't have faith in a book because that was yet to be written. They had faith. In fact, they had faith in proof and when they would greet each other, They would say these words. They would say, He is risen. And the other person would verify it by saying, He is risen indeed, saying, I saw him, I spoke with him, I ate with him. This unbelievable claim is true. See, this is what we see in our faith is that we have a faith that was grounded and started and continues because it's true. Because we have proof. And because of that, we can hold on to the validity of Christ each and every day of our lives.